0: Welcome along to the first episode of the Thought Crime Podcast. This week we're doing a lot of preliminary work focusing on the idea of satire. So far we've been introducing satire as an area of thought and a genre of literature and we've started speculating about what it might mean and what it might be for. We've had a look at a couple of films of satirical material which you can view online on the website and students have brought some along of their own finding as well. And then we've shifted back into the 19th century where we've read a speech written for apparently youth called Advice to Youth by Mark Twain which has within it quite a number of formulations that are definitely satirical. Essentially in the speech he undermines our expectations of what an adult might be saying to a group of young people and instead gives terrible advice. You've all been working on developing a definition for satire for yourselves based on the material that you're presented with. I think it's worth having a listen to a short excerpt from Mark Twain's speech, just to focus on not only that it's satirical and why, but also have a look into how linguistically the satire's built in the written piece. Mark Twain writes, First then, I will say to you, my young friends, and I say it beseechingly, urgently, always obey your parents when they are present. Now, apart from the fact that it's you know ironic in the extreme, I think it's really important to notice that in the writing of the satire, the humorous element, the bit that undermines our expectations of what the piece is intended to say to us, happens at the end of quite a complex sentence. And there are other examples of this, as well as another feature of satire, which I think is really important to pay attention to. Quite a lot of satire is about setting up expectations in the mind of the reader and then twisting those expectations so that the reader is surprised or amused by what's said. It has a subversive purpose. It subverts our expectations and therefore it often comes up in literature and in society when people wish to critique something or mildly or gently or sometimes obliquely criticise something that perhaps is too much of a sacred thing to be directly criticised or partly perhaps to appeal to the intelligence and the good humour of the audience in order to get an idea across that they might not otherwise be that interested in hearing about. Here's another way it's done, and as I said, it's through language. I'm going to read the piece from the beginning of the sentence so that you can also get a sense for the length of the sentences here. He's talking about how a young person shouldn't lie poorly, and so he's describing his uh, view on this. (music) some authorities hold that the young ought not to lie at all. That, of course, is putting it rather stronger than necessary. Still, while I cannot go quite so far as that, I do maintain, and I believe I am right, that the young ought to be temperate in the use of this great art until practice and experience shall give them that confidence, elegance, and precision, which alone can make the accomplishment graceful and profitable. Patience, diligence, and painstaking attention to detail. These are requirements. These in time will make the student perfect. Now all that language of accomplishment and grace and profitability, patience, diligence, painstaking attention to detail, that's all being presented as the means by which people should lie. So there's that use of language that is considered to be often enormously virtuous, particularly in education, and applying it to a uh, practice, which of course most of us would advise you not to do. Then if we think about the context that this is a piece of writing that's been designed as a speech in order to be presented to young people, you can see that the framing of all of this is in the language of a speech to young people, but the message undermines all that. And the question we have to ask ourselves, and the question I hope you will ask yourself is, what is the actual message? What's the underlying purpose of something like this? What's this satire designed for? Now, it can be, the answers to that can be a whole range of things, and I think they are many things. So it's totally acceptable to say it's done because it's funny, but I think it's also important that we consider how it's funny and what are the purposes these kinds of mechanisms of language might be put to. Remembering that as we move through this course, we're going to be going in the direction of some of the great 20th century dystopias like George Orwell's 1984 and in doing that we're going to be looking at his position on how language is being used in his society at the time and in his fictional world of uh, Oceania to manipulate and control people. So at the moment we're dealing with this in the form of humour but it's going to get darker so welcome along to the Thought Crime podcast and the Thought Crime course. Remember the script and the text for everything that I'm saying here is already on the site in the form of the, the web entries that you've been working with and you can come back and listen to this at any time if you want to make more sense of why it is we're reading this material. This week we're going to jump forward a century and look at some of Clive James's satire and we even might make it to the 21st century and Frankie Boyles. Then after that... We'll be turning the tables, and it'll be your turn to create some satire yourselves. Hope this helped. Catch you next week.